Amen. What a great song that is. If you could open your Bibles to 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. This morning we'll be looking at verses 12 to 19. Um, I do love that song, It Is Well With My Soul. Um, A lot of you will know already the story behind uh, that song. I won't go into it too much, but at least to say uh, the writer of that song was a businessman from Chicago. Um, There was a great Chicago fire that happened, and he was sending his family off to um, England. And they were to go on holiday. He was to go with them, uh, but he had to stay back for business. And they went out on the boat, his wife and his four daughters. Um, And the boat crashed into another boat, and it sank. And the only one to survive of his family was his wife. His four daughters died on the boat. And as he was traveling over to England to meet with his wife, he was traveling past this area where his four daughters died, and he wrote that song. When sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. And so that's how that man wrote that song. And that's why in many ways, not just the words, but when you know the story behind the words, it's very, very powerful. And what we need to remember this morning as Christians is that we are not immune to suffering. Suffering can still come our way. And as we get back into 1 Peter, if you want to remember, listen, what is 1 Peter all about? You know, as we come back into it, and it's been a long time, and I'm sure you don't remember all my sermons. I don't even remember them all. But as we come back into 1 Peter, if you were to ask me, Shane, what does 1 Peter teach me to do? I think 1 Peter teaches us to suffer well. If you're going through trials, if you're going through suffering, if you're going through hardship, the book you are to read as a Christian is 1 Peter. In 1 Peter, he tells us how to deal with suffering that we experience from the government, suffering that we experience from employees, suffering that we might experience at home from the people that we love. And in light of that, he tells us about the suffering of Christ himself. Remember our memory verse? He himself bore our sin in his body on a tree. And so what he's trying to get into our minds is this, Christian, is how you suffer well in light of the suffering of Christ himself. And there is much trial and much suffering that we experience in this life, pain, sorrow, heartache. But what he's going to talk to us about this morning, what Peter is going to bring to us this morning is this. How do we suffer as Christians? What do we do when we suffer as Christians, when people persecute us and insult us, what are we to do as Christians? How are we to respond? And so this is what this passage is all about. I want to read it to you as we begin. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. Let's read it together. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you 
as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice and be glad insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not believe the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful Creator while doing good. Here's what He is saying to us. When you suffer... Because as Christians, by the very fact that we are Christians, by the very fact that we take upon that name on ourselves, we will incur insult. We will incur persecution. That goes with the territory. And what he begins by saying to us is this, do not be surprised by it. Actually expect it. As we think of our suffering, here here is a way I want us to think about this. I want us to think about it in this way. Think about the last plane journey that you were on. The last flight that you took. Now the Keatings won't have to think long. They're smiling at the whatever, I don't know, was it eight or ten hours or whatever you guys had to do. But it was a long plane journey for them. And I want you to think back, maybe for some of us it was a long time ago. Think back to the last plane journey you went on. When you went on that plane journey, and, and, and the kids here will remember this, what, what the air hosts do is they kind of stand in the middle, don't they? And, and they start to tell you, here's how you buckle your seatbelt, here's what you do, and, and here's where the exits are, and they point all that out. And after they give you all those instructions, then they say to you, listen, there's, there's an instruction leaflet, a, a, a map or whatever of what you're to do in an emergency. It's in your front uh, pocket, and you need to read that as well. And so what happens invariably to us all the time is, is we're so used to hearing that we, that we just sit there, kind of pay attention, but we don't really. And then we, you know, the manual's there, we kind of pay attention, but we don't really. We might give it to the kids to look at that just to keep them quiet, but we don't really want to pay attention to it. But when the emergency happens, then you want to think, what am I going to do? And sometimes some of that stuff goes all, all out the window. And what Peter is saying to us, what Peter is doing, it's almost like Peter is the air host and he's saying to us, here is what you do in the case of emergency. There are certain things that you do and there are certain things that you do not do. And I want to tell you that. I want to instruct you in that and make sure that you are ready when persecution comes. 
Some people believe that this letter was written after Nero's great persecution of Christians. You know, there was a great fire in Rome in in 64 um, AD after Christ's death. And there was this great fire and and Nero then blamed the Christians and there was great persecution. I actually think the date of this book, whether you want to debate it or not, it's slightly earlier than that. Slightly earlier than this, than this persecution, the persecution was coming. It wasn't very severe and he's getting them ready. When you experience a fiery trial, he is saying, he is getting them ready. He's getting them prepared. This is what you're to do. You are not to be surprised. Don't be surprised about it when it comes. Expect that fiery trial. And why does he say fiery trial? For this reason. Trials for the Christian, what they do is they refine us. As the refiners fire. You realize if you are really a Christian, if you are really the Lord's, when you go through persecution, when you go through heartache, and you still love Him. Maybe some of you right now are just going through heartache in general in life. And it's hard and it's tough and you find it hard getting out of bed each day and whatever it is. These are the things that the Lord uses to refine us. And then we know we are His. Let us not be surprised at the trial when it comes. Now, I've been thinking to myself, why does he tell us that we are not to be surprised by the trial? Why should we expect the trial? Because often I think the way we live our life is we try and make our life as painless as possible. Live our life in that way as painless as possible. And then when the trial comes, we're all surprised and we wonder where did it come from? This is why as Christians, I think it is so important for us when we're telling people about Jesus, that we tell people about Jesus, that he forgives us from our sin, that there is eternal life, but we also tell people there is a cost that comes with following Christ. We're called to take up our cross daily so that when we experience trials as Christians, we should not be surprised. We should not say, where on earth did that come from? He didn't tell us about this. He did. He said to the disciples before he left, he said, in this world, you will have what? You're going to have trouble. Expect it. Don't be surprised by it. And as I was thinking about this during the week, I was like, why why does he ask us not to be surprised? And I think it's in this way. There's certain people in this room that love surprises. And there are certain people in this room that hate surprises, right? Some of you love them, some of you hate them. In our marriage, there's one who's okay with surprises and there's one who hates surprises. Luana really doesn't like surprises. And I still haven't quite figured this out in my head. I still think there's, there's a way I can surprise her, I can get her, that she will really love it. But she doesn't like surprises. She has never liked surprises. And it took me a while to figure this out. I remember we were engaged. We were engaged to be married and it was coming up to uh, her hen weekend. And so um, her, bright, her maid of honor was uh, a travel agent, and so she had a, a great idea and a great plan, but it was my job to get Luana ready. 
So what I did the night before is I called Luana and I said, look, you need to get your bag ready. I didn't tell her anything. I said, and this is a person who doesn't like surprises. I didn't tell her anything. I just said, pack a bag. I'm going to collect you in the morning. And it was going to be early in the morning. I'm not sure exactly what time, but just for a dramatic effect, let's say eight o'clock in the morning. And so I went to pick her up at eight o'clock in the morning. And when she opened the door, she was not happy. The reason she was not happy is because she got no sleep the night before. She didn't know what was coming. And so then not only did she not get any sleep, but you know what I had with me? I had a blindfold with me. (laughs) So for a person who hates surprises, who didn't sleep well. Now, we weren't married at this time, so give me a break. She doesn't sleep well. I give her a blindfold. She has to put that on. I'm not finished yet. I still had something else. I got earphones and an mp3 player out. So I blindfolded my wife-to-be, and I put earphones on her and music, and led her into the car, like I'm taking her captive. <laughs> and so we lived in, or she lived in Passage at the time. She lived in Passage years before. And what I did was, she got into the car, blindfolded, music on. She doesn't know where she's going. We got to this roundabout here, and I drove around the roundabout. I'm not joking. I drove around the roundabout about eight times just to make sure she was totally disorientated. And yes, you're thinking, that's horrible. I'm a horrible husband. But I wasn't her husband yet. So she still had a way to get out. And after all this, anyway, we drove up to the airport got her to the airport, I walked her up and down some steps, and then finally um, unveiled the blindfold, and her friends were there. And she got surprised. They took her to Rome for a few days. It's a good, good trip. But she would have preferred to know that beforehand, not go through the whole ordeal. The thing is, when you know something beforehand, you know what you're able to do. You're able to get yourself ready. Christian, you need to know this. Trials and hardships and difficulties, they are coming your way. And what Peter says to us, do not be surprised when it comes. But instead, he says we're to do something different. Take us back to the plane again. Can you imagine in the plane if they just told you what you are not to do? All of what you are not to do. You know, with those masks when they come down, if they just told you, don't put masks on your children first. And you just sat there and you said, I'm not going to put it on my children. I'm not going to. And the masks are in front of you. And you only listen to the negative command. I'm not going to put the mask on my children. That would be foolishness. What they do is they say, put the mask on first and then put it on your child. Often in the Bible, the instructions are that way. Don't do something and here's what you do instead. Put off the old, put on the new. And here's what he's saying to us. Do not be surprised, but instead, what does he say in verse 13? But rejoice in so far as you share in the sufferings of Christ that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. So when trials come, and they will come, he's not saying if they come, he's saying when trials come, and they will come, don't be surprised by them. Instead, what should you do? You should rejoice. And you say, there's no way. Like like for a non-Christian reading this, they say, that's foolishness. I'm to rejoice in my trial. Why should I do that? 
If you remember back, back the reading that Luana just read so well for us in, in James chapter one, he says this, count it all joy when you experience trials of various kinds. And you say, what on earth is the Bible talking about? Why should I rejoice when sufferings come? Shouldn't I be sad when sufferings come? Why should I rejoice? And these are the teachings of Jesus. Even on the Sermon on the Mount, he was telling his disciples, you know, you will experience trials, you will experience persecution, but he says, rejoice and be glad. And you say, why should we rejoice and be glad when we're going through so much pain and sorrow in this world? And Peter gives us two reasons. The first reason you should rejoice when you experience trial is because it is proof, it is evidence that heaven is yours. It is proof, it is evidence, it is your ticket that heaven is indeed yours. Listen to what he says, verse 13. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. When you experience sufferings and pain, you are to rejoice because why? You're sharing in the sufferings of Christ. Christ came to this world and he suffered and I'm in this world and I'm suffering. And what does that mean? One day I will rejoice with him in heaven. So I suffered and he suffered. He rose from the grave. I am going to raise from the grave. He is in heaven. I am going to be in heaven with him. It is proof. It is evidence that you are going to be with him in glory. That's what suffering does for us. Suffering and persecution and trial for the Christian is our evidence. It is our proof that I'm going to be with him in glory. I was reading this week about a a gentleman. His name is Nasir. I was on the um, Church in Chains website. It's 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 an Irish Christian website related to the persecuted church. And often I will go on to this website and I commend it to you just to hear what's going on around the world. What persecution my my brothers and sisters, your brothers and sisters are experiencing throughout the world so that we can pray. And I was reading about this gentleman, his name is Nasir, and he is a church leader, a church minister in Iran. And in 2016, they were at a Christian engagement party and he was arrested And he was arrested and he was imprisoned for 10 years. And the charges that he went under were these. This was the charge that was brought against him in Iran. Acting against national security through the the formation and establishment of an illegal church organization in his home. He was arrested and put in prison for 10 years. What was his crime? He started a church in his home. That was his crime. He did what we have done in this town. Except the difference is, I get to go home at night to my family and he stays in prison for 10 years. And he is still there to this day. And the reason I was able to read about him this week is because he gave a message from prison. And in that message from prison, he quoted John 15. And I want to read it to you. These are coming from his lips while he's in chains. If you belong to the world, 
This is Jesus' words. It would love you as its own. John 15, 19. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. You don't belong to this world. You've been chosen out of the world, Jesus is saying, and that is why Jesus is saying this world hates you. And so you look at what has happened to our brother in Iran, Nasir, and you see what has happened to him and you say, that is awful. What Peter would say is this, that is evidence. That is proof that one day he is going to be with Christ in glory. Yes, he shares in his sufferings now, but he will be with him in glory. We rejoice because it is proof that heaven will be our home. The second reason we rejoice is because it is proof that the Spirit of God is within us. Look at verse 14. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. If you are insulted, he says, you are blessed. Why? Because it is evidence that the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. It is evidence that you are indeed a Christian. And when you hear of the story of of Nasir, you say to yourself, and I have been saying to myself that this week, my persecution, my suffering as a Christian does not compare. You couldn't even call it, I feel, you couldn't even call it suffering. But the reality is that suffering is suffering. If you are experiencing pain and suffering, it may not be what he is experiencing, but suffering is still suffering. And what Peter is doing there is he's giving us another category of suffering, which is what? Insult. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you too are suffering. And that is proof, that is evidence to you that you are indeed his. You are His. We are saved by faith in Christ alone. By grace in Christ alone. But there is evidences for us that we are saved. And part of that, not all of that, part of that evidence is the fact that we are insulted for the name of Christ. And we're willing to take it on. And when we think of insult, you can think, yeah, that can happen to me too. Imagine you went for lunch with some of your work friends. You went to lunch with some of your work friends and you started talking about the Olympics. And, and you know, you talk about all, all the races and you talk about all that was going on in the Olympics and they say, oh, it's brilliant. And then you start talking about the, the they start talking about uh, Laurel Hubbard, the, the New Zealand weightlifter, the first transgender New Zealand weightlifter. A man in the women's competition, lifting weights. And they say, isn't it fantastic how open the Olympics is? Isn't it great that this first transgender um, participant has come into the Olympics? Isn't this wonderful and fantastic and great? And they notice that you're quiet. And they know that you're a Christian. And they say to you, well, what do you think? then you have a choice. And if you respond with, with a proper opinion or any type of f- opinion, with truth, in love, you're not shouting them down, what response are you going to get back? 
you're going to get insult. Think about, think about our primary school students and secondary school students and what they experience day in, day out with what, with what's going to happen with some of the students. This is shocking to some of us adults, but it's not going to be shocking for our teenagers. This is where they live. And when they decide, I'm going to stand for Christ in my school, in my primary school, in my secondary school, if you decide you're going to stand for Christ in your workplace, what's going to happen? You are going to be insulted. You will. You absolutely will. But what can we do? We can rejoice because it is proof that the Spirit of God rests in me. If the Spirit of God didn't rest on me and I'm in that conversation at lunchtime, I don't care. I'm joining in. Even if I think it is a bit weird that a man was lifting weights with women. Even if I think that has crossed the line because some people do. Some people actually do with a, with a secular worldview are kind of going, that's not right. Whatever's going on, that's not right. But we can rejoice, can't we? Because it's evidence that the Spirit of God is within us. So here's what he's saying to us. Here's, here's the big picture. Do not be surprised when trials come. Instead, what you are to do is you are to rejoice. And what Peter does then is he kind of summarizes, that's the main chunk of what we want to say this morning, but then he kind of summarizes that again in different words. In verse, um, in verse 16 he says, Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. So here's what he says. He says, he says two things now to us. If you suffer trials, do not be surprised, but instead rejoice. And if you suffer trials, do not be ashamed, but instead glorify. Do not be surprised, but rejoice. Do not be ashamed, but glorify. He's telling you what not to do, and he's telling you what to do. And when you hear those words, do not be ashamed. And you think of the one writing those words. You say, well, he was actually dictating to a guy called Sylvanus. Sylvanus was writing the words. You'll hear that at the end. But he was saying them out. So he's in the room. Sylvanus is writing the words. He's saying out these words. He's saying, yes, do not be ashamed. And you think, that's Peter saying these words. A little servant girl walked up to him one day. Remember that? You know, if it was a big beefy man, you might forgive him. It was a little servant girl. And she said, weren't, weren't you with Jesus? Weren't you part of his crew, part of his gang? What did Peter say? No, no, I'm not. Then they asked him again, what did Peter say? No, no, I'm not. And then they asked him again, and what did Peter say? No, no, I'm not. And now Peter's writing and he's saying, you say, yes, yes, you are. Do not be ashamed. What has changed between that guy who was saying, no way, no, I'm not, to do not be ashamed? What has changed? Jesus Christ rose from the dead. That's what's changed. Jesus Christ said to him, feed my sheep. That is what has changed. And Peter now is feeding his sheep and Peter is saying, Don't be ashamed. 
don't be ashamed of the name Christian. Take it, embrace it, and let everybody know who you are. Don't be ashamed. You think of that name Christian. That name Christian is only used, we use it all the time. It's only used three times in the Bible. Three times we hear the name Christian used. The majority of the time it is used by non-Christians describing them. Non-Christians are saying, they're Christ ones. They are Christians. Look at them. They're following after Christ. You see it in in Acts chapter 11, verse 26. It's talked of the group in Antioch. They're called Christians. Herod Agrippa uses it in Acts 26, 28. Again, talking about Christians, these Christ ones. But the third time it is used, it is used by Peter. And he takes that name that they used against believers. And he says, you know that name Christian that they call us? Take that name on. Take it on. Don't be ashamed of it. And let everybody know who you are. Let them know. Don't be ashamed. And so what I'd say to you in your workplace or when you're standing with the other parents in the playground, don't be ashamed to tell them what you did on Sunday. Ask them what they did on Sunday and wait for them to ask you and don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed of the name of Jesus. Even if they insult you, don't be ashamed. If you're in primary school and you've trusted Jesus or in secondary school and you've trusted Jesus, don't be ashamed to tell them that you're a Christian. Don't be ashamed to tell them that you love Him. He's yours. Don't be ashamed of the name. The reason he says not to be ashamed is because judgment day is coming. Verse 17. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? He's giving the reason that we're not to be ashamed and the reason that we are to glorify. The reason I know he's giving the reason is because of that little word in verse 17, 4. Four always tends to give the explanation. You are to suffer well. You are not to be ashamed. You are to glorify God for judgment day is coming. And he says judgment begins with the household of God. What he is saying there is essentially this, not condemnation judgment for the household of God, but an an assessment of the household of God. It begins with God. That judgment starts with God's family, God's household. It is a refining fire. Suffering comes upon this earth, comes upon this world, comes upon us first, and it is used as a refining fire on the household of God first. And if we experienced it that way, what does he say? What will happen to those who are not God's? If we have experienced the refiner's fire, What will happen to those who do not trust Jesus? They will experience, not the refiner's fire, they will experience the condemning fire of hell. That will be their suffering. Here is why we are not to be ashamed. 
And if you do not know Jesus this morning, I would say to you, there is a big difference between the refiner's fire and his judgment fire. You want to be on the side of refining fire because the refining fire prunes you and makes you more like him. The final fire will never end for all of eternity. And you are called to trust in Him and believe in Him for salvation. So what is Peter saying to us ultimately is this. Listen, when you suffer, you are going to react in different ways. Do you react when painful things happen to you in life? I react. You will react. You don't remain neutral. When bad things happen to you, you don't remain neutral. You will do something. You might get angry. You might, you might be despondent. You might hate the Lord. You might lose sleep. You might overeat. You might undereat. You might insult people. You will react. You won't remain neutral when suffering happens. And what Peter wants to do is get you ready and he wants to say, listen, here's what you need to do. Don't be surprised, but rejoice. And don't be ashamed, but glorify. And then he gives us this final conclusion. He says this, here's what I want to say to you. At the end of the day, this is Peter. Here's what I want to say to you. Verse 19, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust themselves, their souls, to a faithful Creator, while doing good. If I were to say to you three positive things that you are to do in response to your suffering, it is this. Rejoice, glorify, and the last one in his conclusion, trust. Entrust your soul to God. Trust that the suffering and pain that you are experiencing is part of God's plan and His will for your life. That's hard to hear. And believe me, that's hard for me to say. But isn't that what the verse says? Who suffer according to God's will? I could try and change that word for you, but I'm not going to. If we suffer, as Christians, all suffering is part of God's refining fire, will, and plan for your life. Christianity is not a ticket to the easy life. It's part of God's plan for your life. And I would say all Christian suffering is part of God's plan for your life. And the reason I know and can say it is because the ultimate suffering was part of God's plan for our life. Remember his prayer in the garden? We think about it all the time, don't we? Luke 22, he says, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Guess what happened? The Father's will took place. 
The Father's will was accomplished in suffering. Christian, it is God's will for us at times to share in Christ's suffering. And when we do, we rejoice, we glorify, and we trust that God knows exactly what He is doing in our lives. Let's pray together. Lord, we do not have all the answers for the suffering that we experience for being Christians. We cannot have all the answers. But Lord, we trust you, knowing that you have a good plan, that you have a good purpose for everything going on in our lives. And we pray, Lord, that we would be a people who rejoice in you, who glorify you, people not surprised, not ashamed. Help us to live for you when people insult us and persecute us. Lord, we pray for our brothers and sisters. We pray for Nasir right now, Lord, that he right now in prison in Iran would feel our prayers for him. That he would know even right now that the Spirit of God rests upon him. We pray for all our brothers and sisters in Iran and all our brothers and sisters throughout the world suffering great persecution. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would lead and guide them and strengthen them as they seek to follow you. And help us, Lord, be a praying people for them and be a people who live for you despite the insults and persecutions and sufferings we experience. In your great and glorious name, we pray all these things. Amen. Amen.